You know, Sundays like today are really a strong indicator of just the life of a church community. Great joys of child dedication, but brothers and sisters, this is a part of our church family this morning that's hurting. Many of you I know are hurting. We lost this week to a tragic accident, Steve Brin. Steve was part of our welcome team and our ushers, and uh, the Whitaker-Brin family are, are grieving, and I just felt compelled this morning to just let you know, Brins and Whitakers, that, that we're with you, that we're feeling what you're feeling. And if you knew Steve, Steve was a quiet, faithful, encouraging, kind guy. He'd often take the time when I was flying around here on a Sunday morning to just say something very brief and very kind about the morning or the message. He said, dear brother, and I know he's dearly missed already. Even as our welcome team gathered this morning, we were grieving. I was reminded of Psalm 116, verse 15, that says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It reminds me that God himself, even more than us, experiences the angst and the injustice of death. Jesus weeping at Lazarus' tomb was both sorrow and angst. And God sent Jesus into the world to do something about death. It's poignant to us when it's untimely, but death is always an injustice. It's why Jesus came. So I just want to pray for the Brins and Whitakers this morning, for us as a church family, as we grieve our brother, who nonetheless is with the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we, um, Lord, there's the dichotomy of this morning, celebrating new life and the commitment to spiritual new life while mourning and grieving the loss of the physical life of our brother Steve, and yet the realization of his eternal life in, in the for real. Lord, sometimes we're not left knowing how to feel in this life. And thank you that your word says in Romans chapter eight that the spirit intercedes with groans that words cannot express because we don't know what to say. But Lord, would you comfort my brother and sister, Mike and Caroline, Mason, Mady and Morgan, Lori, the rest of the extended family, those that knew and loved Steve well here at GBC. Lord, we just cling to you for comfort. We thank you that Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Again, <laughs> the rhythms of church family life, right? The joys and the tragedies. Child dedication is, is really pretty special. And, you know, you think about each child that was up here, some by natural birth, some that, were, uh, that have been adopted. Each child is unique and special. And yet there are some things about child rearing and parenting that are just universal. My wife and I have raised or are raising four children. And uh, there are some things that have just that we've experienced, that I know that you've experienced, if you're a parent, a child care worker, a grandparent, like whatever. So I'll tell you a story. Uh, when we were newly married, we'd been married, I think we were in our second year of marriage. We had this little person in our life. And uh, we were at a, a wedding of some dear friends in Rhode Island. I remember it vividly. You know, I was in a nice suit. My wife's in a beautiful dress. We got this little guy with us, right? And, and uh, the wedding ceremony is great. He did well. And then the reception comes and and uh, it was a beautiful late summer night. I think it was like early September, just gorgeous. 
and our little fella needed a diaper change. And so we kind of left the reception area to go to the parking lot to change him. And I had at that time my favorite vehicle I've ever owned. It was a 1994 Chevy Blazer, four-door, four-wheel drive, white with leather interior. But I digress. So we go, we go to the, all the guys in the room are going, you know. So anyway, so we go to the, we go to the Blazer, we put the gate down, we, we start to change him. And he made a mess of his diaper. And so we're doing our parent thing and we're in our nice clothes. And in that moment... The, the, the kid goes like full-on projectile refried beans, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and uh, so, so my wife and I were talking about this the other day and she goes, it was everywhere. And you know, if you've had any contact with little children, you're going, yeah, the exasperation of that, like now, really? And some of you in the room, you're going like, ah, I don't have children. I've never really worked with children. I, I, I don't relate to that. Like, well, you probably were that kid at some point. <laughs> you did have parents one way or another, right? This morning's passage in Galatians is dealing with the birth of two children, two boys, Ishmael and Isaac. And Paul is using these two, the birth of these two sons uh, and their parents and the whole situation as an illustration to drive home a point he's been making, the number one point he's been making through, through the whole book of Galatians. So if you're new with, with us, new to the Bible this morning, we've been studying uh, a, a letter in the New Testament called Galatians, written by the Apostle Paul. It's written to a group of churches in the southern province of, of Rome called Galatia. And Paul's writing this passionate plea to one point, that to be made right with God comes through faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. And so Paul writes this passionate letter. He gets to this point in the chapter, and our whole section here is an illustration that he uses to drive home that point. So to say it this way, our sermon this morning is about an illustration that Paul uses in his sermon to the Galatians. So a little bit of a different perspective as we look at what Paul's saying this morning. He begins with this idea uh, with his audience. He says, tell me you who want to be under the law, do you hear the law? And what he's saying is, you who want a list of rules to get to God, you who prefer the check boxes so that you can measure where you're at, do you really know what that means? Do you know what that obligates you to? He's basically saying, you don't want that deal. Why? Because you'll never arrive. You'll never get there. You'll never feel like, did I do enough? Have I been obedient enough? Why? Because it's not just Christians that can be hypocrites. Human beings are hypocrites. And so even if you write the list of the rules, you're gonna break your own rules. And that's where Paul starts. He starts with this audience. If you want the, this, the list of rules, it's gonna put you in a tough spot. So I'm gonna read the whole text and then we're gonna pray and then we're gonna look at it in pieces. So Paul begins, verse 24, tell me you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through the promise. These things are being taken figuratively for the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth, burst into song, and shout, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now you two brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. 
But just as the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit, so also now. But what does the scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son. For the son of the slave will never be co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of the free Looking at it in turn, but we really need the Lord's help in this passage. So let's look to him. Lord God, would you be our guide? Lord, would you open our hearts to receive the teaching that you have for us this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit? That these words written to these churches in Galatia in the first century would be taken in and applied to my life and to the lives of those within the sound of my voice. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Essentially what Paul's gonna do in using this illustration is he's making an argument from biblical Old Testament history, a historical argument as it were, to contrast religion or religiosity with faith in Jesus. Then he's gonna take that argument, he's gonna apply it figuratively, metaphorically, or spiritually, and, and kind of contrast the law, that is the 10 commandments, the law, and, and free grace. And then he applies it to, to, the, to his listeners. So we'll take that in turn. So Paul begins uh, talking about the birth of these two sons. Now it's probably important for us this morning just to do a little bit of a, a backstory. Remind ourselves, or if you're new to the Bible, what is the, the, what is the episode or episodes that Paul is talking about? Paul's talking about historical people and historical events in the Old Testament. Uh, and if you want a little bit of reading later to, to kind of get the deep dive on, on this, you can read Genesis chapters 15 through 21. And there you'll see the story of Abraham and Sarah. Ishmael, Isaac, and Hagar. But it begins this way. God approaches an elderly Abraham and Sarah and says, you're going to have a child. You're gonna have a son. In fact, if you were here a couple weeks ago, you may remember that, that God promised Abraham sort of a three-tiered promise. Number one, you're gonna have progeny. You're gonna have descendants. In fact, so many, they're gonna be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And then you're gonna, you're gonna be given a place. Your people will have a land and a place to call home. And you will also have, your family will yield the prosperity or the blessing of all people. And so Abraham and Sarah, they, again, they're elderly, they get this promise. And after some contemplation, they basically say, you know, we're past our child rearing age. We're gonna help God out here. We're gonna kind of give him an assist. It's what Paul calls in, in what we're reading now, their response of the flesh. So what do they do? Abraham, along with Sarah's uh, support and actually endorsement, sleeps with Sarah's maidservant, Hagar. And Hagar becomes pregnant. And, pre and, and Hagar gives birth to a son, Ishmael. And so Abraham and Isaac, or Abraham and Sarah, feeling good about themselves, say, God, here's the child of the promise that you made. And God says, nope. He says, you're gonna have a child. You're actually gonna have a son. And in the text in Genesis, it's great to read. Sarah laughs. She laughs. As is always the case when God is involved, he has the last laugh because lo and behold, Sarah gets pregnant, gives birth to a son. And the text tells us that Sarah laughs again, but this time a little differently. And, and Isaac is born, the child of the promise. And so Isaac and Ishmael grow up. Ishmael's roughly a decade older and Ishmael actually uh, uh, mocks and, and teases Isaac. Can you imagine an older brother teasing a younger brother? But, but Paul uses the, the term persecuted and, and ultimately Hagar and Ishmael are, are sent away. They're banished from the family. Now God in his own way cares for them. But again, Paul takes all of this and he brings it in and applies it as an illustration to this point that he is making. 
This idea that religion and following a list of rules is an enslavement of sorts, whereas what God wants to give is a gift. It's a, it's a promise given. And so he says there's two big differences between Ishmael and Isaac. Number one, Ishmael, uh, they have different mothers and different destinies. And so Ishmael, who was born to a slave woman, was born a slave. Isaac was born to a free woman, so he is born free. Now, whenever we talk about slavery in the Bible, we need to distinguish biblical, particularly Near Eastern, very ancient slavery from African slavery of the last couple of centuries in Europe and in the United States. African slavery, which is probably the single most blight on our story, our narrative as a country, I would argue is far more heinous than biblical slavery. That one ethnic group of people with a particular skin color would enslave another and brutalize for ultimately centuries. It's a huge black mark on who we are as a people. But this is different than biblical slavery largely. Biblical slavery occurs at a time in history where uh, city-states and tribal nations would war for land and would conquer one another. And in the conquering of, of other people, simply in the, in the response of victory, they would enslave each other. This is the kind of slavery at the time. It was a hard world at, and a hard time in the world. But again, different, a little bit to be distinguished from our own understanding and history of slavery. The other way that someone would become enslaved was if they were uh, poverty-stricken or destitute, they could enslave themselves to a, a, a master who was able to provide for them. And, and that would then generationally continue. And this is the context into which uh, Ishmael is born. He's born a slave woman's son. Isaac is born free. But what Paul is saying metaphorically here as he looks at this literal history is that if you want to go down the road of the religion and the checkboxes, it's a road of enslavement. It yields enslavement. It will become exhausting to you. What God wants to give is, again, a granted promise. He goes beyond that, though. Paul says, because they have different births, they have different natures. Ishmael was born according to the flesh in the normal and natural way. Whereas Isaac was born, one commentator used these two words, against nature. Why? Because Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. It wasn't supposed to happen. It's a miracle. It's supernatural. And Paul's saying that's what spiritual rebirth is. It's something that cannot happen, humanly speaking. But that when we trust Jesus by faith, it, this miraculous new birth happens in spite of us. It's powerful imagery. Paul is saying that God's love and salvation and his blessing in our lives, it all comes as a received gift by faith in Jesus. It's not about our performance of a set of duties, including the law that we'll get to in a moment. Thank you, God. And yet even as Christians, if you're a believer this morning, we can settle back into this pattern of living as if we were slaves. It's what Paul talked about in the previous chapter. Why? Because we kind of, we're programmed that way, both in our nature, but even life. Think about it. You go to work, you do a job, you get a paycheck, right? You perform, you're rewarded. As a kid, you behave well, you get some sort of reward. You behave poorly, there's some punishment. You know, talking about parenting today and, and the high tasks that these families have, when we were raising our kids, one of the things we tried to really resist was only expressing and showing and speaking uh, affection when our kids were behaving in a way that we desired from them. 
And so at random and insignificant times and even times of punishment, I would ask them a question that they learned the answer to. I would say, how much does daddy love you? Or how much do, do mom and dad love you? And they, the parroted answer they learned is the grammatically incorrect all of it. If you ask my kids today, how much does your dad love you? Chances are they would answer all of it. The other thing that we tried to do was when punishments did happen, and I have many memories of sweet moments, believe it or not, when there had been punishment of embracing one of my children afterwards and saying, remember, daddy always, 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 always loves you, even right now. Reinforcing this idea of the love of God that is not built on our, promise, on, on our performance. And yet that's how we are wired and programmed. It's where we default to. It's why Paul needs to be so strong to the Galatians. As if, it's as if he's saying there's two kinds of peoples in the world, Ishmael's and Isaac's. Remember who you are. We could say it this way, don't settle for natural religion when God offers you supernaturally his family. Let's flip that as a question. Am I trying to earn my adoption? Paul talks about in Ephesians and Romans when God freely offers his family. We've used illustrations of that in the past. Imagine an adoptive child trying to, to earn the adoption that he's been given. Paul says it's given by the very nature of the miraculous new birth that happens in us. I wonder this morning, what are the things or, or, or the, the, the pressures perhaps you put on yourself? What's, where's the reminder you need to receive this morning that adoption is the delight of God's love to draw you into relationship with himself? Pure and simple. You don't need to perform. Well, Paul moves from the historical to, he now gets, even in his own words, figurative. And now rather than contrasting, strictly speaking, religion uh, versus faith in Jesus, he begins to talk more specifically about the law versus free grace. Listen to what he says uh, in verse 24 through 26. He says, these things are being taken figuratively. For the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present or earthly Jerusalem for she is enslaved with her children. But the Jerusalem above, that is the heavenly Jerusalem, is free and she is our mother. Paul now kind of moves to focusing on the two women. He says the women represent two covenants. They represent two Jerusalems, if you will. That is that, that Hagar and Ishmael and the present earthly Jerusalem. What Paul is talking about at, his, at the time he writes this, Jerusalem is the seat and the place of, of, of the religion of Judaism, of, of religious legalism. He says all of that represents the old covenant, which is salvation by works. What is the old covenant? It's the covenant of the law and the 10 commandments given at Mount Sinai with Moses as its mediator. As we said a couple weeks ago, the old covenant is the covenant of thou shalt and thou shalt not. I love what John Stott says here. He says, this is the religion of the natural. What can I do to try to get right with my creator? It's the, relation, it's the religion of doing. Moses mediating a covenant given on Mount Sinai. Whereas Sarah, Isaac, and the heavenly Jerusalem represent the new covenant, salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. The heavenly Jerusalem is a picture of the Jerusalem yet to come, of eternity. 
and the inheritance that we have in Christ. Some of you have been studying Revelation. It's what, uh, what the Apostle John talks about in the book of Re- Revelation. And so rather than uh, the law given on Mount Sinai and mediated by Moses, we have free grace given on the Cal- Mount of Calvary mediated by Jesus Christ in his death on the cross. Rather than thou shalt and thou shalt not, we have the I will, I will, I will promise to Abraham that is then fulfilled centuries later in the it is finished of Jesus on the cross. Jesus mediates a different covenant. We used the example a couple weeks ago of, of the law. We said that in God's redemptive plan of humanity, Remember that God's plan, even in choosing the Jewish nation, was ultimately that he would redeem all people. And so in that redemptive plan of humanity, God, who is outside of space and time, enters into space and time at a specific point in history as the person of Jesus Christ, and he deals with death. He deals with sin on the cross. And he takes the I will promise to Abraham and he fulfills it in the it is finished of the cross. That's what we sang this morning. And so... The question then that we answered a couple weeks ago in Galatians 3 is, well, then what was the point of the law? This parenthesis between the promise to Abraham and the cross of Christ. Well, we said it was to reveal our sin, our need for a savior and to prepare us for Jesus coming. John Stott says, this is the religion of grace. It's not about what I have to do to get right with my creator. It's about what God has done for me. What he has done for me. I was listening to um, Dr. Dave Reed on this passage. Dave Reed was a Bible school professor who retired here and, and taught adult Sunday school. And he said this, he said, human nature will always want to add human works to the finished work of Christ on his cross. Human nature always wants to add human works, human effort to the finished work of Christ on his cross. And yet we necessarily sing at times the song, the cross is enough. The cross is enough. The cross is enough for me. Amen? Amen. Paul has sort of intimated the idea that there's two kinds of people in the world. There's Ishmael's and Isaac's. Now he's kind of intimating there are two kinds of citizens in the world. There's those that are citizens of a earthly Jerusalem. That is a system of law. And those that are citizens of a heavenly Jerusalem. Those that have received free grace and know what it is to walk in the miracle of new birth. Brothers and sisters, don't settle for religious religious bondage when God offers free citizenship in his kingdom. Let me ask our second application question this way. Am I trying to earn my citizenship where God freely invites me into his kingdom? Now, in the last section that we're going to look at, Paul kind of moves on to then, what are the identifiers of people who are part of this family and this kingdom? And to be sure, there are identifiers of your tribe, right? Whether it be your family unit uh, specifically or your extended family or maybe your friend group or your work cohort or whatever it might be. There are certain things that identify us and Paul's gonna talk about some of those. I remember in my own life, there was a season after high school graduation, before I got married, my late 20s, just a great season of life. I had a lot of buddies from here, both guys and girls that we hung out together. Um, and there's something that, that was really kind of unique about our friend group that identify us, identified us in the summers. And that is in the summer, we would spend a ton of time downtown Mystic on rollerblades with super soakers 
playing a sort of like team tag in downtown Stonington and Mystic and with the bridge as the divider. Now you could never do this today. It's all, there's signs, you, you know, signs everywhere. You can't roll a blade or skate. I think that's kind of probably because of us. Um, <laughs> but it was kind of what, like when people would start to hang out with us, they're like, you got to come do play this tag with us. And it was so much fun. In fact, you know, residents and even the firehouses would let us fill our, our super soakers up and it was a great time, but it was something that identified our group. I wonder what those identifiers are in your life. Paul talks about in the last section, after making his historical argument and his figurative argument, listen to how he changes uh, to application. He says this, now you brothers and sisters like Isaac are children of the promise. So he opened with, you who want to remain under the law. Now he's switching and saying, now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. He's talking to those that have made the decision to, faith, by, to embrace this idea of faith in Christ. Jesus plus nothing. He's talking to you and me if you're a believer in Jesus this morning. What does he say about us as God's people, as his family and his citizenry? But just as the children born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit, so also now. But what does the scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. And Paul says, I think three times there, who we are. It's, he's echoing things he's already said. In chapter three, he said, for through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. You are sons and daughters of God in Christ Jesus. In the beginning of this chapter, he said, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And as a son, you're an heir. You're an heir of all things, of eternity, of forgiveness, of new life, of all the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Ephesians chapter one. Paul says, this is who you are in Christ. Uh, when I was growing up, our senior pastor, Bob McCoy, used to say often, often he would say, be who you already are in Christ. That's what Paul's saying. And so Paul says there are three lessons. Number one, expect persecution. And note where the persecution comes from. To the true believer, persecution comes from the religious person, the nominal Christian, the legalist that the legalist will always persecute the one who is walking by free grace in the spirit of God. Expect persecution, Paul says. Number two, he says, expel legalism. And I think Paul has two things in mind here. One is certainly, as we know from the context of this book of, to Galatians, is in, in Paul's immediate context, cast the Judaizers out of the Galatian churches. And for, in our context, expel anybody that's teaching Jesus plus. Jesus is great, but he's not fully God. You need to go. Jesus is great, but you need to follow these other things. And, and, and this is what I'm not saying. I'm not saying someone who's coming here, who's learning about Jesus and has questions or even pushback, is, and they're, they're here because they want to learn. I'm talking about someone who comes here and challenges biblical doctrine. And I will tell you the history of this church, even in the last year, we have asked people to leave for that reason. It's Jesus plus Nothing. Second area way I think that Paul means to expel legalism, uh, at least by way of application, is to expel legalism from my own life and heart. And we'll deal with that at the very end here as we move toward our conclusion. Paul says, expect persecution, expel legalism, and finally, as I've already hinted at, embody the family identity. 
Paul says in Romans 8, if you belong to Christ, then you're obligated to Christ. Now we're not back to the law, the list of rules. No, we're obligated to Christ by the work of the spirit out of a place of gratitude and worship to then live like we be who we are. And so Paul asks that great rhetorical question, who will separate us from the love of Christ? And he goes in this list. The answer of course is no one and nothing. Not even you, not even me. You know, if we were to just kind of glance ahead after we move on from this illustration to where Paul goes next, where Zach's going to preach next week in chapter five, Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not submit. Don't go back to a yoke of slavery to religious bondage. So I want to ask you one final question. Am I trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone? for forgiveness and new life. That's to the non-Christian, the nominal or legalist or religious person and to the Christian this morning. Am I trusting in Jesus and in Jesus alone? Or do I believe that when, when push comes to shove, I'm gonna try to get right with God by my own efforts. I'm gonna practice my truth. Am I trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone or do I actually think that I can put God in my debt by my behavior? Friday night, we heard from a woman named Stephanie who said that when her husband left left her, her prayer life consisted of this. God, I've done the things you've asked me to do. I've been the person you've asked me to be. And what's underneath that question? You owe me. Paul says, no. Last question. Have I trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone? Or have I believed the lie that he's only pleased with me when I'm performing? And I believe God has the same response for those of you that are in Christ as I had for my kids, that he always, always, always loves you. And that doesn't mean that we just continue in our sin. By his grace, he wants to change us and make us more like him. But his love in our salvation is not attached to our performance. Pray with me. Lord, we have much to learn from you. And God, we've considered deep things this morning. Father, would you apply these things to our heart today? We thank you for your word and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.